Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Your father was a woman. Who was he? He was a centurion in the Jerusalem garrisons. Really? What was his name? Nautius Maximus. <laughs> centurion, do you have anyone of that name in the garrison? Well, no, sir. Well, you sound very sure. Have you checked? Well, no, sir. Um, I think it's a joke, sir. Like, uh, Siliosaurus or Biggest Digger, sir. What's so funny about Biggest Dickers? Well, it's a joke name, sir. I have a very great friend in Rome called Biggest Dickers. <coughs> Silence! What is all this insolence? You will find yourself in gladiator school very quickly with rotten behavior like that. Wait, your Biggest Dickers hears of this. Good evening, and welcome to television. G'day! Hello! Hello! Hey! Hey! Whoa! I'm a Philip Hunting. And I'm Owain Stellini. Welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Hey, Philip. Yes? What have you been watching since our last podcast? Well... I did it again, where right. I ended up watching something that Kirsten was watching. The saga continues. Really, yes, yes. And I really didn't pay too much attention. And the reason for that is because I pseudo-watched Scream. Okay, you fool. For our regular <laughs> listeners will know that you do not like horror movies. We've made you sit not for really. a few of them. And <laughs> we've remedied that because there's now countless Fred Watch bonus episodes and special episodes that you don't have to be a part of. So we found that lovely balance. But now you've done this voluntarily though, Philip. You stayed well, in the room. Your partner is not obliged yeah. to change the channel. <laughs> but well, you are not obliged to stay. stay. You are not obliged no. to stay, my friend. <laughs> no. But you know Cuddling up on the couch is really nice. And <laughs> you, I, order, look, before you even begin your story, you have zero sympathy from me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but, like, I just, I, I struggled with it. It, it was, yeah, just, ugh, I don't know. I like Silence of the Lambs. It's okay, a psychological... Yeah, okay, hang on, hang on. But did you find Scream scary? Is that what why you didn't like it? Or did you find it boring? Or f did you find it silly? Or what was the reason well, that you didn't like it? Well, the thing is, I knew there was lots of stuff that I wasn't getting, so that didn't help. Yeah, it's very self-referential and uh, genre-referential as well, which is why it's actually celebrated amongst horror fans and film yeah, critics as well. For me, that was still scary. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, there's a few good jump scares in there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I don't like that. But you yeah. got to remember, Wayne, I'm the sort of person that didn't enjoy eight-legged freaks because of the jump scare. And I will tell you now, Philip, that when you yeah. told me that you freaked out at eight-legged freaks, and I feel yeah. like it unsettled you for a while after your viewing of that, yes. I probably could not stop laughing and chuckling yes. for a few hours after you told yes. me that because I thought that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> was that on another podcast or was that just us catching up? I feel... I feel like, <laughs> I, I feel like that was us catching up. Uh, but yeah. now you've shared that with our beautiful audience. Um, and now that it's on the record, I can yep. bring that up at any random moment and give you shit about yeah. it. <laughs> So I didn't enjoy Scream. Didn't enjoy Scream. <laughs> I'll, I'll have dirt on you one day and then we'll see the last laugh, last laughest. <laughs> Look, I, there's, a, there's a lot of movies that have, uh, that, that have scared me and have unsettled me. But well, maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment. I keep going back for more. <laughs> yeah. And Wayne, what have you been watching? Well, something that I caught between um, our last podcast... And this one was also a horror comedy, Philip. And Ooh. I use both of those words very loosely because it was not scary and it was not yeah. funny. And it yeah. was Adam Sandler's Hubie Halloween. Uh, yeah. And look, Happy Madison, 
they produce okay movies every now and then though they do knock it out of the park and deliver the goods but i think most of the time they're pretty repetitive and just the same old same old gags and human halloween definition of hit and miss Oh yeah, with more misses than hits from my <laughs> from my taste, and you know me, I, I'm pretty diverse with my with my style of of comedy. Mm. Like I, I I'm pretty accepting. It doesn't take much to get me going, but Hubie Halloween was painfully unfunny, and it was oh, it's it's uh, you feel like that Adam Sandler and team are just fulfilling their Netflix quota to be yeah, perfectly yeah. honest, make sure it's a, at least 90 minutes and you've got this many movies to give us. And yeah, yeah Hubie Halloween rates quite easily as one of the dullest movies I've seen all year. Yeah. And yeah, please do not watch it. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Philip, we've delved into horror and comedy in our own time. But today we're swaying more towards a genre that is definitely up your alley. Yes. What are we discussing today, mate? Today we're reviewing Monty Python's magnum opus, Life of Brian. Tell us about it, Janet. (laughs) Written by the Monty Python team and directed by Terry Jones, Life of Brian, released in 1979, was produced by George Harrison of Beatles fame and is specifically not a parody of the Bible. Born next door and on the same day as Jesus, Brian, Graham Chapman, starts life as he ends it, miserable. He grows up with his mother, Terry Jones, in a turbulent Jerusalem at the time of Roman occupation and after following his heart to Ellis, Carol Cleveland, finds himself a martyr to the Judean People's Front. Sorry, the People's Front of Judea. Along the way, he finds himself to be a Roman, a prisoner, a terrorist, a lover, the chosen one, and a very naughty boy. (laughs) Wayne, what did you make of the life of Brian? Well, what an interesting life young Brian leads. (laughs) It has some similarities to, to somebody who is incredibly important in the scope of human history and still to a lot of humans living today. So it's an interesting take. It's an interesting narrative. Mm. One thing that I do like about the life of Brian is just how funny it is. I think it's an incredibly effective comedy. I had seen the film before, once before. It was a few years ago, but not like overly long time ago. But in saying that, it wasn't like a lot of the gags stuck with me. So watching it again this time round, (laughs) it almost felt like the first time for me. Like there were certain lines and moments that I remembered and I remembered, you know, what Brian looked like and what his mother looked like and, and the voice. Yeah. But I don't watch it and I haven't been attached to the film religiously like yourself, Philip. (laughs) And I'm now wondering if I only remember the bits that I remember is because you quote them or refer to them a lot. (laughs) Because I know that uh, this is a, a significant movie for you. But why wouldn't it be? It is really well made, I think. I have to say that I don't think that this movie is offensive. I don't think that it was intended to be offensive Mm. at all. I think it's incredibly clever. In the notes that I wrote down for this film, for discussing it here today, if I had to summarise it, which probably gives you an idea of where the rest of my feedback as this episode of our (laughs) podcast progresses will go... I would summarise it as a scathing satire on organised religion and the Mm -hmm. underclass who don't mobilise against the ruling class. And I think that that is a really important theme throughout this film. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think that there's a lot of critiques about society made throughout the movie. And I think that humour is used to put those messages 
across. There's a lot of wordplay in this film where things are said back and forth, misunderstood, manipulated. But I think that that once again helps in conveying the intended message of Life of Brian. But Phil, this is, you know, your pick and I know you adore the Monty Python team and I know that you adore this movie. (laughs) Uh, Watching it for the one millionth time, what what were you thinking here? It's funny you should say that because this, apart from now for something completely different. Yes. This is actually probably my least viewed Python movie. Right. Okay. And it's really twofold. One, Holy Grail is a lot more, I want to say child-friendly, but Mm team-friendly. It's a lot easier for parents to be able to say, oh, yeah, he's old enough, let's show him some Python. And So that was actually one of my first true uh, insights into Python. Yeah, so that doesn't have the full frontal nudity, for example, that that Life of Brian does. (laughs) And so my sister and I used to watch that all the time. Mm. Life of Brian, I was allowed to watch that a lot later in life. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's not because it's not as good, but it's almost like it's actually so good that you watch it a couple of times. It's that like you sense. don't want too much of a good thing. Yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. Right. Okay. Like, if I want to go watch some Python and just veg out, I'll either go watch Python videos like Flying Circus, mm. just watch it, or I'll watch um, Holy Grail because it really does not have a storyline. It does, but it doesn't sort of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, yeah. Whereas, whereas this, as you've said, it, it's it's actually got things to think about. It's actually got things to to process and, uh, oh, look, that that's a, that's a critique on this or satirizing that. Whereas Holy Grail is just a retelling of the Arthurian tale by Pythons. Right. Okay. Yeah. But I definitely agree with you about those political and and, and satirical points Mm. because it famously caused derision amongst the religious community. Listeners might remember episode seven, Holy Flying Circus, which was a movie about that time about this movie's release and how there was a big a literal on tv debate by the python team versus religious representatives yeah so philip refresh my memory was a lot of the controversy generated because the establishment for lack of a better word felt that this movie was being disrespectful to scripture and holy text and was the main complaint coming from people who had not seen the movie yes so famously that is actually exactly what happened the the bishop comes on one of the archbishops i believe it was comes on and says you know how dare you pick on jesus how dare you make mockery of our religion and, uh, and and our Lord and Savior. And John Cleese is going red in the face saying, no, it's not. It, it's, we pick on organized religion. We're picking on you guys, mm. but, but we're not picking on Jesus. If anything, we respectfully uh, show him. And then famously after the debate, John Cleese asks, did you even see it? And he goes, oh, no, I uh, uh, missed the first five minutes and I, I walked out before the end. And they're like, so you missed the setup that shows that it wasn't Jesus and you missed the part that's, you know, wrapping it all up. Yeah. And I feel like we can sometimes as, you know, just as human beings, if we're really attached to a faith, to an ideology, to a political movement, to a certain way of life or belief system, we can sometimes be blinded by the idea of being offended or that somebody is being intentionally hurtful to, 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 you know, to take the time to actually see, well, let's see what this person is saying. Because my opinion is that if you have a belief, if it is strong enough, it will survive being ridiculed and mocked and laughed at. And of course, I'm not saying that life of Brian does that, but this was the point of view from those who were complaining about the Mm. movie 
something in more recent times was, for example, when we had the, the release of the Da Vinci Code, the novels and the film adaptations of that series. And I have to say, like, I haven't read the, the novels, but I have seen the movies and, you know, specifically poking fun of, of my religion. And I watched these films and I'm like, how on earth can anyone be offended by this story? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. really, like, honestly, how can, like, I, like, I, it actually blew my mind, Philip. I'm like, what yeah. are people complaining about? This is like, it's entertainment. You know, whether you think it's entertaining is a different story altogether. <laughs> and it's, it's, its premise might be confronting for you, but the way it plays out, uh, it's anything but offensive or, or, or anything like that. Well, for me, I don't know. Um, yeah, but, but this is sort of seems similar that people got offended by what they thought the premise or the intention or the idea was more than the material itself. Yeah, and the funny thing was from what I can read, at least, the producers and the, the, the people in marketing were eating this up. They loved it. Oh, yeah, they, absolutely. Absolutely. They Why organised buses. So what would happen is one county would ban it and so they'd organise a bus to pick people up and take it to the county that didn't ban it, sort of thing. <laughs> um, there there was um, posters in Sweden that read, you know, so funny it was banned in Norway. So, you know, <laughs> but the Python team, again, allegedly, really hated it because they were like always talked about how they would come at something first and foremost as writers. Yeah. That's how they found it so easy to do their skits and stuff because they never came at it from the ego of an actor they never came up oh well i want this role or they just sort of knew who would fit what role best because they came in as writers first yeah and when people were saying oh this is this is you know blasphemous and how dare you pick on jesus and that they said they're going you're just disrespecting our writing because you're not even listening to the message properly but the thing is also when you watch the movie you realize how flawed that argument is to begin with, I mean, really, the the character of Jesus in this film is almost immaterial to the story. Yeah. Has like very limited impact on Brian whatsoever. You know, the yeah. only the only direct impact on Brian is that he doesn't get his gold frankincense and more once he's being born. <laughs> really, yeah. the whole point of him being seen as the chosen one uh, as the son of God and, and is martyred for, for this cause. That's not on Brian. That's on the people around him awaiting this divine being who is in their midst and mistaking Brian for that individual. Mm. So yeah. So any criticisms related to how it depicts Christ are just incredibly misdirected. And I think that, Yeah, and I think if you're focusing on that element, an element that doesn't even exist, you're (laughs) then not allowing yourself the opportunity to look at the true messages and the intention of this film. Now, you might be offended by those messages and the intentions of the filmmakers, but at least you're offended by the correct thing, not something you've made up. (laughs) Now, I think... I'd like to turn away from the controversies and stuff because, to be honest, they've been talked about a lot. Yeah, they've absolutely. Been, and I think one thing when people get hung up on the controversies, it makes them really forget is that end of the day, this is a comedy. Yeah. And this is full of a lot of funny moments. Yes, yes. So, Wayne, what are one or two of your favourite funny moments from this film? Oh, I know look, that's asking a lot. Yeah, no, because there are actually quite a lot. I will say that the bit that probably gave me the biggest laugh or the first really big belly laugh was the entire stoning sequence. Uh, I (laughs) just, I found absolutely hilarious. The women in disguise as men and the, the, you know, just the whole being stoned for, for saying Jehovah's name. (laughs) 
and of course the condemned has nothing to lose and yeah, yeah and, and then you've got the person who's who's sort of reading the charges gets caught up in it and the, the women aren't supposed to be at the stoning and they're like no no we're, we're men and they're dobbing on one another about who threw this stone before the time and then of course it ends in that brilliant huge stone <laughs> at the end That's slapping brilliant. him yeah i just for me it's like that's a really good combination of clever writing and wordplay. You can feel Mm. the beats of comedy mixed in with physical gags that escalate one stray stone and then multiple stones and then one huge one. That's, that's really clever. And one thing I do want to say about most, not all, I will preface with that, but most of the gags here even though, Phil, you know, you'd said that, you know, this is a full narrative, unlike some of their other work, which are skits and sketches, really. Um, this yeah. is a full narrative. But really, you could break it up scene by oh, scene yes. into skits and sketches. And what I would actually recommend anyone who is interested in entering the field of comedy writing is to take a look at Life of Brian. Pick one of these yes. scenes in isolation and break it down. And that is how you see how an effective gag works. And you can do that for multiple, multiple scenes there. So, yeah, I would have to say I did like the stoning (laughs) particularly. One thing that I liked, and here's one where I felt almost like a a less successful gag. In terms of the setup, I didn't particularly like but the payoff was brilliant. And that was where Brian has to write Romans get out a hundred times. Oh, really? You didn't like that? I didn't particularly like the setup. I felt like it went a little too long, (laughs) but the reveal of the the graffiti on the facade of, of, of this building was absolutely hilarious. And it was hilarious because Romans get out is written a hundred times, yes. But it's not like how we see Bart Simpson writing his lines at the beginning yeah. of every episode on the on the chalkboard. It's in different sizes and, yeah. and you know, it, it goes around different shapes to fit this building like it was a projection. And <laughs> then once he's been, you know, once he's finished writing those out a hundred times and his supervisors are happy because he's just made it. He's got until, you know, sunrise <laughs> to do it. Yeah. He's just made it. They're like, very well, don't do it again. And then they walk off and that's a hilarious gag. But then you've got that second punch of these new Romans coming in. Hang on. What have you written there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah From me, the setup between Graham Chapman and John Cleese, didn't quite work for me. For me, again, we had that wonderful wordplay, but Mm. I was like, it's dragging out too much because essentially it's the same gag told differently. And I appreciate that's probably what they do. They definitely do it in the stoning scene that I love so much, but just wasn't quite as effective for me. But that just gorgeous image of the writing all over the building. And <laughs> it's, 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 be- it's actually quite beautiful, I think. <laughs> but Phil, did you have one or two favourite moments here? Well, just before I get to that, I want yeah. to quickly throw out some little trivia bits mm. from, funnily enough, both of your ones that you mentioned. Oh, great, great. And that is essentially that they both really came from the fact that before Python... John Cleese worked as a teacher for Mm. a private school. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. (laughs) And so you can see it when he's the priest, he's got that sort of, you know, uh, who's doing that? Come on, fess up. (laughs) Teacherly, you know, back in the class. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And obviously when he's the, when it's the Latin, both Graham Chapman and John Cleese learnt Latin in school. They both went to private schools and they learned Latin. So that was them riffing on the fact that they had to go through that crap, that sort Uh of, oh, uh, uh, hang on, how do you spell that? And of course, this is back in the day when, you you know, corporal punishment was a thing for children. So (laughs) (laughs) they didn't quite draw swords, but... (laughs) So yeah, so that's where that sort of stuff comes from. One of my favourite gags in the whole bit absolutely 
has to be the part with Pontius Pilate and Biggest Dickus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say that ranks up there for me as well. Because whilst I consider myself as a mature and sensible grown man, <laughs> I would have been chuckling the whole way. <laughs> so, yeah, any particular reason why that's your favourite, mate? Well, one of the reasons is because for a good chunk of that scene, they actually didn't tell the extras what was going to happen. Okay, so to get some genuine reactions. To get the genuine reactions. Obviously not all the shots, but those wide shots, especially where Michael Palin's walking between the different centurions. Yeah. That was all. They just brought them in and said, don't laugh. (laughs) Well, you get this beautiful reaction. And every time he jumps to a different centurion, that's him actually trying to get them to laugh. (laughs) Oh, it would have worked on me. Like, if they wanted extras to just burst out and erupt in laughter, it wouldn't have taken me long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like how how that sort of play on, on names is then repeated you know, when we come to the moment of letting a prisoner free and everyone's yes. making fun of him because of his list. Oh, not his list. Sorry about that. He can't pronounce uh, ours. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I thought that that was a nice recurring gag there. I thought that was quite effective. Yeah. Yeah, no, most certainly. I love that sort of stuff. And then with um, Graham Chapman actually coming up as Biggest Dickus with his lisp on uh, not saying S's correctly. <laughs> And then, of course, John Cleese's centurion going, no! (laughs) We're trying to keep face. The Roman Empire is trying to save face here. (laughs) Sort of throwing back to themes. I just, I love, you know, they're trying to save face, but this whole movie is, as we've said, it's a sort of bashes on organised religion, but also just on the whole, what did the Romans ever do for us? That's another one of my favourite scenes. Yeah, it's really interesting because, and let me know if if, uh, I've missed the mark completely or maybe it's just a different take, but amongst the messages there, it really does seem to support the idea of colonialism. And (laughs) I don't think it actually, I don't know, I don't actually think it, it makes fun of them because I think whilst it critiques the hierarchy and it critiques the patriarchy i don't think if it ever intended to critique the impact of colonization i don't think it does it successfully but i don't know like it seemed very pro-colonization in the end to me yeah look i wouldn't go personally wouldn't go as far as pro-colonization but it does what i think python does very well when it comes to his political satire, etc., mm. And they're just essentially saying it as they see it, which yes. is that idea of, yeah, the, the, the empire, the, the Roman empire, they're being run by idiots. It's being run by incompetent people. You know, they, they all march in, all the Romans march in to try to find these people who are obviously hiding in very easy to find areas. They all march out, they go back in, <laughs> they come back out and say, we found a spoon. Oh, I love that sequence so much. It's so good. But (laughs) it's also saying just because the imperialists, the colonists, those people are idiots and they're bad and they're silly and whatever, doesn't mean the other side isn't just as dumb and silly and, you know, oh, we we want freedom from all this luxury. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's saying there's the best of both worlds, there's worst of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think there's again being very careful, but I think there is that argument to be made. It's okay, the way in which people do stuff, the way in which empires are born is horrendous and horrible, and I don't think Monty Python are the people to get into that argument so mm. deeply. But they have are p- touching on the idea of okay, yes, this was bad but you've got to admit you've got some good stuff out of it. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's definitely the message they're, they're going for. So it's almost like the end justifies the means, but I feel like the, that's an attitude of its time though. I don't think 
you could. Oh, most certainly. You could. I, I don't think that gag could be done today. As funny as it it plays out, and it plays out more in terms of delivery than of its content. See, but I don't think you could do I it. Don't, I don't 100% agree. Hmm. I think it's got to all be in the context of it. Yeah. Because end of the day, it's, it's like they're not picking on the oppressed people. They're picking on the radicals and the people that are like, oh, we want to go back to. Mm. Like, okay, but have a think about what you're actually saying here. And yeah, I do believe there is a, again, I'm not saying the argument is always nicely laid out, but again, that's not what Python does. They don't no. sit there and go, this is the full argument. They say, hey, have a think about this little nugget. Mm. Yeah, and then it's for other people to decide. Yeah, this is uh, true. I mean, I think they present it, but there isn't a counter argument to yeah. balance it. Like, for example, that no, uh, I indigenous. In, I, I don't. I don't sorry, think the message ever comes across that it's like that indigenous inhabitants of a particular land or area were doing just fine. They didn't particularly need all of these super huge technologies and advancements that say the Roman empire brought forward because that's not what their life and their cultures and their beliefs were about. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like that there isn't ever a response to that. I agree with you a hundred percent that in terms of like, yes, the Roman empire are the ruling establishment, but at the end of the day, they're just buffoons who just happen to have the better technology and that's why they're dominating. Yeah, you see, to me, that is the counter-argument, that we see the Romans as these buffoons. We see them as the... Again, okay, maybe, again, it's not particularly strong, but this is also a comedy. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, like, we see that, though, but then could we not argue that, uh, you know, in the third act, when we've got all of those followers of Brian are equally in touch with their buffoonery, if you like, because yeah, they're... That's less... That's very sheeple, right? Yeah, <laughs> People being yeah. sheep. But it's not that sort of independent thought either. Yeah, but I would feel that's less to do with them being... That's almost... That's a separate argument to... Mm. That's less to do with them being you know, the native peoples of Jerusalem, Jewish, yeah. and more to do with them wanting the organised religion. Yes, yeah, that, like that is true. And that is, that is the purpose of that. Yeah. And then when they've got different symbols, like, you know, the shoe, for example, we can see the divide in Christian beliefs, how we do have the different subdivisions of Christian beliefs, yeah. um, which it, I felt was that, quite clever. This is how religion starts. <laughs> yeah, no, but I felt that that was really clever. And I think it also then reiterated that critique about yeah. you've got all of these groups of, of people who are oppressed because, you know, the, the ruling ideology, the ruling class is in the minority always. But yeah. the reason why they stay there is because the majority are so divided and have this infighting. Mm. Like, I think it's really, I think it's really clever. And I think the way they present it is incredibly well done and is quite funny. Yeah. And I also think from that perspective, that might also be more what they could easily be what they're critiquing. When we go back to that, what have the Romans done for us? It's mm. less of a, Oh, look at all the great things the conquerors, the, the imperialists have brought us, and more of a look how easy it is to get distracted. Yes, this is, this is fair. Yeah, that's a fair argument. Look how easy it is to get distracted from our main goal, and then that ties in with all the being split off and the mm. fact that there's the Judean People's Front and the People's Front of Judea and how they're all just the same people trying to get the same goal, but slightly different wording prevents them from mm. combining and, and actually doing something good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still, you know, I, I don't know. I still feel that when you've got a group of British guys and uh, colonization yeah, right. comes into the mix, they, they don't present an argument against it, mm. which look, I'm putting context and I'm into this and I'm like, okay, well that, that's a, story you're telling but you know look I, I don't necessarily I, I think that if, if that's their point of view that's their point of view I know that you disagree with me that I that I think that they're 
uh, that they're saying that. I don't think they're they're pushing it as much as no, they're pushing they other things. But but um, but yeah. I don't think they ever critique colonization. No, and look, maybe they don't. Yeah, and maybe that's maybe that's intentional too. Mm. As you said, is the era for me? They've always been about just throwing out little ideas and you know thoughts and oh, have you thought of it this way? Yeah, and then you decide what you think. You know. One little thing about that, just want to throw it as another little bit of uh, trivia Easter egg. Yeah. That um, scene where they've got the holy gold and, no, give me your shoes. <laughs> yeah. You see a man at the end, he starts going, wait, wait, let us pray and all that as they all run off. Right, yes. That's Spike Milligan. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. He was a huge influence on the Python mm. people. Yeah. And he happened to be, I can't remember if it was working on a show or holidaying in the same places that they were filming. And they just happened to turn around and said, hey, any chance you could maybe be in our little movie? And he was like, I'd love to. Oh. So they got their <laughs> hero in one of their movies. Wow. Never meet your heroes, but it worked out this time around. It worked out beautifully. <laughs> and it's just such a tiny scene. And yet you can... I've heard in audiobooks and interviews and stuff, you know, the, the, the various Pythons talking so highly of just that little moment where Spike Milligan came on set. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. I mean, that's a lovely, a lovely gesture and a lovely nod, really. <laughs> Most certainly. Talking about Spike Milligan and thus the cast, mm. obviously this was done in pure Python manner with the Pythons all playing every role. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. To start off, we had Graham Chapman, mm -hmm. obviously as Brian, the lead namesake. He also plays Biggest Dickus. And the second wise man he is credited for. <laughs> <laughs> the man in the middle. This is actually really interesting for Graham because he had a lot to prove to the other Pythons during this film because during the filming of Holy Grail, he was actually inebriated for most of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Graham Chapman had a big drinking problem. Right. And so this is his redemption. This was his redemption. He absolutely no alcohol through the entire filming of this one. Mm -hmm. And the Pythons said he was an entirely different man. And to be honest, I personally feel the movie benefits tenfold for it. Oh, well, he is so... I mean, look, he's the title character, right? He's yeah. so significant. He needs to be on his A game. And I believe he was. Most certainly. Yeah. Most certainly. And if you put Holy Grail back to back with Life of Brian, you really can see he still does a good job in Holy Grail. Mm. But you can just see it goes from, you know, comedian doing a bit to actor playing a part. Yeah, cashing in the check <laughs> type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We then have, obviously, John Cleese, who plays Arthur, one of the main centurions, and, of course, your, your mate, the high priest. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> I absolutely love John Cleese in just about anything he does. Yeah. Um, he's always got that well, as we said before, teacher-like demeanour, that, that, that he's tall, he's built, and then he just comes out with these outrageous and silly lines, and you're like, oh, my goodness, that is so good. <laughs> well, yeah, John Cleese is just one of these screen presences, really, like, uh, I just... You know what I adore about John Cleese in this film is okay. because he's, he's so recognisable to me. I'm a big fan. But when he's playing different characters in this movie, yes, I know it's John Cleese playing a different character, but I only see the character he is playing. 
And in a movie where you are playing multiple characters, that is extremely difficult to do. And I have to say, I think every single member of this cast achieves that. That's a testament to the talent of this cast is that, and you know what, Phil, some of the, some of the times I didn't even recognize them. (laughs) Right. I couldn't even tell you who they were, but did such a great job. And I'll just jump back as well and talk about, Gray and Chapman. I absolutely love him in this. And I don't really know yeah. Graham Chapman that well. My relationship with the Monty Python team is that I knew some of them as individuals working on projects independent of Python before I knew them as a collective. So I've kind of yeah. gone backwards <laughs> in terms of finding out who they are. Eric Idle yeah. was the first person from the Python team that I experienced watching films so i have a soft spot for eric idol and um, then of course uh john cleese so yeah like so to to sort of really discover some of the other members is really quite a joy for me when watching a movie like life of brian but for me graham chapman especially is incredible in this i feel i love 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 him in this movie and John Cleese never fails to deliver. Oh, most certainly. And speaking of Eric Idle, he in this film really played the everyman. He oh, was Mr. Mr. Cheeky. He was Stan Loretta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting discussion with gender politics there. Oh, when the character yeah. of Stan uh, talks about wanting to be... Uh, wanting to be a woman and is therefore referred to as Loretta afterwards. Yeah, interesting. Yes. Interesting. And he also wrote the songs. Oh, wow. Yeah. The famous always look on the bright side of life. Yeah. Was written by Eric Idle. Wow. So iconic, right? Iconic. Most certainly. Yeah. Most... We have Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. So again, he plays a lot of everyman sort of characters here. When it comes to the movies, he plays a lot of the background characters. Yeah, yeah. He didn't quite stand out for me, I have to say. And the thing is, it's because his specialty with the Pythons is actually the animations. Right. So when you watch any of the movies with animations in it or the series, which would always have an animated skit, that's him. Right, okay. In this, if I've read correctly, (laughs) he was responsible for the alien scene. Yes. Um, Are we we going to talk about that scene? (laughs) We will talk about it briefly because that is there because after a while, the Pythons went, this really isn't Python enough. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And that is... My understanding, it's Terry Gilliam's uh, contribution because at that point he was getting really big into puppetry and I think that's when he wanted to be what uh, Jim Henson would eventually become. <laughs> right. Sort of a high-grade puppeteer. Mm. You know, again, I'm not that familiar with uh, some of the, the guys from Monty Python, so Terry Gilliam I would not recognise. But one thing that I can say about his core contribution to this film is that I absolutely loathe that alien scene. And And not many people do like it. Look, and I'm not an expert on Monty Python. So, for example, it's interesting to me, Phil, that you say, look, they decided this isn't Python enough, so we need to Uh go here. But for me, it's too far out of the world they're creating. So (laughs) this movie has quite a bit of absurdist humor which is what you know they're known for right and it's incredibly effective but it's within the world they've created so i feel like that ridiculous alien scene breaks its own rules like it breaks the rules of the movie (laughs) and And it's just done to get brian from point a to point b so it doesn't for me coming at it from somebody who let me just call myself an outsider of monty python right like yes i know who they are and and things like that but i'm not like you know ingrained in them so i'm gonna i'll I'll back away and say coming out from it as from an outside perspective 
it comes across not as being clever, absurdist humor. It doesn't come across as let's push the boundaries or see how far we can take it. It comes across as a ridiculous and undercooked attempt to get <laughs> Brian from one point to another. Um, well, and, I, and, I, is, and I'm not giving them, I don't think I'm giving them enough credit for the effort and time they put into it and thought they put into it, but that's how it comes across. And I, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to stop now because I could go on for a really long time telling you <laughs> why I absolutely loathe that sequence. <laughs> well, the thing is, Wayne, yeah. I can even take something even further away from that. Right. Yes. If you think about it, it doesn't even get him from point A to point B. He <laughs> arrives. If you cut out the fact that he ran up the tower, which he did not have to run up, they only put that in there so that they could have this scene. Yeah. He still arrived from point A to point B with no problems whatsoever. Right. So what you're saying is I don't hate that sequence enough. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a sentence he used, a little throwaway sentence he used, which is the exact reason they would have put it in. Yes. And what's that? that it breaks their established rules. Hate it. Yeah. That's, but that's what they do. They, they don't like rules. They don't like having primal reason. Look, again, you can hate that. That's fine. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I knew it was intentional. I knew it was intentional and everything. <laughs> uh, I just felt it was incredibly misguided. No effect whatsoever. Like, it just... <laughs> Does you could take it out of the movie and it would not affect any of the movie. Like, of course, if they took it out of the movie, I'd be giving it a higher score. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is that you could take most parts out, you could take the stoning scene out, but then it would lose a bit of its charm. You could take, (laughs) you know, there just there are bits you could take out, but it makes the movie worse off for it. You take that bit out of it. It does not affect the movie. It makes it no. better, if anything. I actually have to agree. Even though I understand it and I get it as part of Python, I agree. I just think it was out of place and it's like, oh, okay, we, we get it. You want to have your little puppetry thing. You want to have... You could have done anything with your puppets. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've done all sorts. Loathe it, Philip. Loathe it. Don't blame me. But moving on from Terry Gilliam, we have... Terry Jones, the lovely cross-dressing Terry Jones of Mandy Cohen, also known as Brian's mother. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh my goodness, how much I adore Terry Jones. <laughs> also, as a quick note, Terry Jones is also the director. Yes. And what a wonderful uh, job he's done for most of this movie. But uh, in terms of acting all of this movie, I absolutely adore everything about the character of Mandy Cohen. (laughs) I cannot fault Terry's performance. I can't fault how the character is portrayed. I can't fault the costuming and the makeup. I can't fault the dialogue. I can't fault the movement. The mother and son in this movie are the highlights for me. If I really have to be nitpicky and say, what are the elements that work the best? Graham Chapman as Brian and Terry Jones as his mother. Yeah. Yeah. Think about how much I have just talked about how much I loathe the alien sequence. Put that same passion into how much I love Terry Jones in this movie. (laughs) And I couldn't agree more. He's so good in this. Oh, and just his little throwaway bit as the saintly passerby taking up the guy's cross and then (laughs) him running away. (laughs) I love that. That's so so funny. Yeah. And finally, probably one of my favourite pythons. Well, not finally, finally. We'll jump into some others shortly. But for the main pythons, Michael Palin. Mm. He's got to be my favourite python. I I love all the others, but he's just so sweet. He's so (laughs) wonderful a person. Yeah. He, of course, plays Pontius Pilate. He (laughs) plays the... um, the, the woman who can't, the, the throws the first stone. <laughs> yeah. He's the ex-leper. I liked him uh, as the ex-leper, actually. Uh, as much yeah. as I 
Yeah, I, I thought that that was like obviously you know him as Pontius Pilate was um, was the highlight in terms of his characters, but I had a soft spot for that ex-slipper. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, now he's and the funny thing is, there's not a lot to say about Michael Palin because he is just so sweet and nice. It does he does sort of for many he falls into the background. He's just yeah. Oh, he's, he's He's there. He's not. But I think some of his humour is the absolute best because of that. I think so. Sometimes it's just the less is more. That's it. Exactly. And Carol Cleveland as Elsie, Mm -hmm. um, Brian's love interest. She was lovely. She was lovely, yes. Carol Cleveland does quite a bit of Python female work, as it were. She's the nuns in Castle Anthrax in... Uh, Holy Grail. She does a lot of the female roles in uh, Flying Circus. So she's had quite a long-standing connection with the Python team. That she has. That she has. And I oh. think she does a bang-up job here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. She's a lovely screen presence. Yeah. And finally, just some sort of honourable mentions. We have Neil Innes, who does a lot of the music for Python. Mm-hmm. He's credited as a weedy Samaritan. <laughs> but um, he, he actually used to tour with Python as well. Does one of my favourite comedy songs, Urban Spaceman, okay. um, on Hollywood Bowl, live mm-hmm. at the Hollywood Bowl. We have Sue Jones Davis. Now, I'm only mentioning her because she is credited as Judith Iscariot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hilarious. Clever play, yep. Play. I can't even tell you who that character is in the actual movie. But <laughs> just seeing it written here is brilliant. And we also have uh, George Harrison, the backer. Oh, okay, so George Harrison is interesting in this, mm. in that the financial backers pulled out just days before filming. Right. And he stepped in and paid for the entire uh, production. Yeah. Simply because he wanted to see the show. I love it. It's absolutely beautiful. Wow. To have someone, you know, as, as talented and as successful as George Harrison back you like that in a financial and even just in a creative sense. Um, Of course, that's an ego boost. (laughs) And it looks like he got himself. I actually didn't realize this until writing, researching for this uh, 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 recording, but um, he actually got himself a small role by the sounds of it. Yeah, Mr. Papadopoulos. I actually didn't recognize George Harrison (laughs) in this. I'm going to have to have a closer look next time I watch this movie. Most certainly. Most certainly. So, as you can see, a beautiful cast, of course, for a Python show. Why wouldn't there be? But, Wayne, yes. after all of this, what are your final thoughts on a score out of five? Yeah, I think that in terms of Monty Python's Life of Brian, we've got a sequence of really funny sketches. A lot of them just hit the mark, you know, w- without compromise. There's so many laugh-out-loud moments here it begins so strongly with the three wise men going to the wrong uh, stable and seeing baby Brian there and being like, oops, let's go. (laughs) Let's go next door. And I think that that tells you what type of movie you're going to get. For the most part, the movie delivers on that promise and it delivers it really, really well. Like, yeah, you can just break up the film into, into the different, sequences from the misunderstanding at the sermon on the mount which again is a wonderful exploration (laughs) into how scripture changes over time because it is like chinese whispers it's interpretation Um, and i think that that's done really cleverly and is really funny you know it's followed by that wonderful stoning sequence that i love so much Um, but even just having like brian and his mother are buying stones and a small bag of gravel, yeah. uh, you know, at, yeah. at the stall. It's, it's, I just, it's just so well done because like, yeah, there are rocks everywhere, but these, these ones here, they, <laughs> these are amazing. And it's, and it's gorgeous because it's showing, it's sort of making fun of the idea of the, of the capital punishment that they've got there. The movie as well has a few 
wonderful little sight gags. My favorite sight gag is when we look at the Coliseum and you've got somebody picking up dismembered body parts and they come across this dismembered arm and they try to take the jewelry, take the ring off the hand and it won't come off. So they just like take the whole arm and conceal it in their clothes and keep on going. I think just little moments like that are really funny. There's always something to look at and to laugh at. But unfortunately for me, the movie isn't perfect. It doesn't quite hit these wonderful beats and marks all the time. I've talked about the atrocious alien sequence. For me, it doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever. Mm. And even though it is in line with the signature of Monty Python, it doesn't work here. What then does happen is that we still get some scenes that work really well, but I feel like the movie loses some momentum two thirds into it, which is unfortunate because I feel like it gets just that little bit sluggish. The gags aren't there as often. It's not as punchy. The pacing slows down a little bit because again, the first two thirds of this, the pacing is really, really good. But in saying that while it never really recovers from that drop. The finale, which encompasses the famous look on the bright side of life, <laughs> is rightfully iconic. You can see why it is so well done. And there's wonderful little gags in that moment as well. So I did overall really enjoy Monty Python's Life of Brian. I'm going to make a strong effort to watch Holy Grail because I've not seen that one before. (laughs) And I'm sure this isn't my last time experiencing Life of Brian. So it's four out of five from me. Philip. Well, uh, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I love it. Warts and all, if there are warts. And... I definitely, when you compare it to a lot of their other stuff, this is the most, probably the most political and satirical they really get. Even meaning of life is a lot more just skit based with a little bit of a dark, maybe satirical punch to it. Mm. Whereas this is asking question after question after question. Yeah. I feel anyway. And I definitely, again, whilst I don't watch it as often as the others, it is definitely one of the better made ones and most certainly one of my favourite Python bits of all time. And for that, I can look past the aliens. I can look (laughs) past all the, the, the slowing up at the end. I can look Brian in the eye and say he's a very naughty boy (laughs) and give this a five out of five. Of course. I knew that was the score and I love, and I love that that's your score, Philip. I love how much (laughs) the Monty Python boys mean to you and how uh, influential they are for you because you're a better writer and comedian for it, I must say. (laughs) So Wayne, what do you have in store for us next time? Well, mate, I am taking a leaf out of your book. So I, first of all, do want to thank you for bringing a movie that is incredibly significant and important to you to the table and open for discussion and critique. And I will return the favour. So the next time we meet, mate, it's actually going to be around the time that I'm going to have my 40th spin around the sun. So So I reflected and I thought, well, it's, it's only right that I bring to Fred watch one of the most significant movies in my life because it is the movie that made me fall in love with movies and made me want to discuss them and made me want to make them because when I saw it, it had such an impact on me. So next time we'll be discussing the breakfast club. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. That's awesome. Yes. Look forward to that one. (laughs) So do I, mate. So do I. Brilliant. So until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Philip Hunting. And you've just experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Always look on the bright side of life. 
always look on the right side of life. All right, quiet now, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> And same. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Blooper reel. So I'm recording Zoom at the moment. Um, let's now record Audacity. Oh, you can't record Audacity, can you? Because you're not on your computer. That's the problem. That's why I need to make sure that that would be all right. Yeah. Look, it sounded okay. We'll we'll see how we go. Um, yep. All right, Phil. I'm I'm ready. I think. Yep. Okay. Oh, it's me that starts, isn't it? So, Philip, what has yes. your partner Kirsten been making you watch this time? I have been watching so <laughs> I, I walked in on it yeah and didn't mean to and i didn't realize what i was watching you know what just start again don't say the kirsten thing i'm just going on a different different tangent now because i don't know what the fuck is going on anymore i've got another one just give me a the normal line please it's a, it's a shame i really enjoyed the screen conversation <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. We'll do the screen conversation. Okay, okay. Hey, Matt. Uh, all right, all right. <laughs> Look, I, there's, a, there's a lot of movies that have, uh, that, that have scared me and have unsettled me. But well, maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment. I keep going back for more. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, sorry. I got distracted by the music and Kirsten's got in the other room. Oh, and Wayne. How about yourself? What have you been? Uh, good day. Born next to and on the same day as Jesus. What? Born next door and on the same day as Jesus. Brian Graham Chapman starts like. Brian Graham Chapman starts life as he ends it. Miserable. He grows up with his mother, Terry Jones, in a turbulent... It was actually famously, and I believe... Oh, hold on, time out. Did we do that? The, yeah. The, yeah, we did. Really. Yeah, I'm actually looking up the number now, um, Phil, because I was going to mention it as well. Um, yeah. to, so you well, can actually I say we did, we did it in I episode rah rah. Sorry? Yeah, I won't, I won't mention the podcast, that's right. Um, oh, no, do it if you want. Holy Flying Circus. Yeah. Yeah, episode seven. Like, if you're going to mention it and say, like we discussed, I'd definitely, yeah. like, give the number. Yeah. 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 Cross-promote. <laughs> it famously caused derision amongst the religious community. Mm. Um, viewers might remember, listeners might remember, um, episode seven, Holy Flying Circus. And then famously after the debate, um, the, um, sorry. It's something in more recent times was, for example, when we had the, the release of the Da Vinci Code, the novels and the books. One of my favourite gags in the whole bit has to be, absolutely has to be. Um, oh, fuck, I've lost the dude who did it. Any particular reason why that's your favourite, mate? Well, one of the reasons is because for a good chunk of it, they did not tell the actor... It really does seem to support the idea of colonial. It... <laughs> Let me try that again. Graham Chapman, this actually is a really interesting piece that, <clears throat> sorry. I think he wanted to sort of be a bit more like the, uh, uh, what, um, oh, 
shit, I forgot his name. The Kermit the Frog. Jim Henson. Uh, Jim Henson, yeah. And Carol Cleveland as Alice. Mm-hmm. She is... Sorry, sorry, Philip. Is it... Uh, I'm reading it here. Is it Elsie? It is. Sorry, Elsie. Yes, of Yeah, and it. just remind me who that character is again. Um, the love interest. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Alice. Elsie. Um, just quick, uh, throwing in... The, uh... She does a lot of the female work in... Uh, Life of Brian. Oh, sorry. She does a lot of the female work in... Um, sorry, one more time. But I think... Uh, I'm never good at transitioning to these things. Um, uh, but I feel like the movie loses its momentum after the two third the movie loses momentum at the two third mark there oh that's mm-hmm. right Phil. the two third mark you know two thirds of the way through it yeah i'll just say it that way yeah mm-hmm. hopefully that's all come out well if not oh, we'll work for now for later yeah if not let's do it again <laughs> <laughs> that was really good mate I mean, I was really happy with that yeah, no. Sorry for me to get into stuff, blah, blah, blah. Oh, but... no, my gosh. Like, Phil, last night, Kendall and I reviewed Jason 2, and I just can't believe how much I was, like, just stumbling through half of that review. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to editing that one. 